Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, that's 12 to 3 Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from the City of Angels, and we have NFL football to discuss, huh? Yeah. Uh, Wasn't exactly an artistic masterpiece last night. Is that a flag? Is that another flag? Felt like there was Oprah Winfrey there. Remember Oprah Winfrey? Like, and you get a flag. And you get a flag. And you get a flag. Everybody gets a flag. <clears throat> the We don't need preseason crowd. As players play less in the preseason, it appears that both the officials and the players need as much time to ramp up. You've forgotten how ugly NFL games are. It's, last night reminds me of a... a of, the, the quick story I'll tell you, my son is a flag football game. I'm fired up because I'm the OC this year for the flag football team of the 49ers. We will be running some oop-de-oop. Oop! 
oopty freaking oop. We'll be running some oopty oop tonight down in Costa Mesa in the same field that the Chargers have their uh, their two a days on. Well, not two a days, but you know, training camp practice. Anyway, uh, my son's first flag football game. It was in Westport, Connecticut, and I think he was five at the time. And so some of it was because then my radio show, which is the same hours as they are now, but it was on the East Coast, done at six. I wouldn't get home until 7.15, 7.30. I didn't get to coach that year. I kind of helped out. And it took me a while before I asked the coaches, like, hey, you guys played football growing up, right? They're like, no, we played rugby. I'm like, oh, well, that would explain why they have no idea what they're doing. Anyway, so he wins his first game. He had a couple, took a couple of handoffs. And got some yards on him. And he was just in tears. He was beside himself. And I was like, what is the matter, bud? You finally want to play football so bad. Now you're playing football and you're not happy. He's like, there were no spectacular plays. Huh? There were no spectacular plays. Nobody made an OBJ catch. I was like, dude, hold on. listen." And, And then all of a sudden, like my own brain started working. And I realized... One, terrible parenting. Two, um, he hadn't actually watched a whole football game. He simply watched great catches. He kept watching over and over again these different great catches YouTube highlights. So he thought that like football was just basically a compilation of spectacular plays, right? Guys are laying out, making one-hand catches, doing flips into the end zone, touchdown dances every other minute, you know, or some sort of crushing hit to which he kind of got to delete from his memory because they're playing flag football. That's when I pulled him aside. I said, Hey, here's the thing about football. It's kind of boring, right? Like I, I like football. No, 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 I love football. There's a lot of, of lessons and I'm like many parents. I'm torn. I played tackle football growing up. My brain seems to be functioning relative, relatively well, but, um, I'm torn as to when to let him play tackle football because there are things that you only get when you have 11 against 11. There are things that you only get with tackle football. You do. You don't want to see your kid hurt, but you do want to see him get hit and then dust himself up, dust himself off, you know, and go back and keep playing. Right. Like it's the, there, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good that comes from the game, but part of the reason play action passes work is you have to fear the run. Right there, there are three yards in a cloud of dust is a football expression because that's kind of what winning football has always been. And when you watch last night, you're like, oh yeah, football is not just touchdown dances and Philly, Philly, Philly special. Like there's a lot of no gain, three and out, punt, timeout, penalty, review. And that's probably the worst possible embodiment of all of the things that football, but football can be a hard watch sometimes, even when it's a really good game. Last night wasn't a really well-played game. It was really close. And then, and I'll give it up to Nick Wright. I believe with 10 minutes, with, with uh, 10 actual minutes, a couple minutes to go in the game, he, he tweeted out, we all know this game's going to end with the Falcons coming up empty in the red zone because they're the Falcons, right? That does seem to happen. If you missed it, the last play of last night's game was eerily similar to the 
last play of the playoff game in which the Eagles won on a ball that was thrown to Julio Jones. Here's the call. Ryan takes the snap. He's back. He looks. He fires. And it is out of the end zone. It is caught out of bounds. Game over. And the Eagles have beaten the Atlanta Falcons 18-12 as it went to Julio Jones, who could not catch it in bounds. History repeats. History did sort of repeat. Opposite side of the same end zone. Last time Julio Jones couldn't catch the ball because he fell down. This time he caught the ball, but it was thrown. It was never, the the ball wasn't in bounds. And then he got, he got shoved. He got nudged out of bounds. He probably would have been out of there anyway. There have been two rules adjustments. One, a major one over the last 10 years. The other one about 10 years ago, which both, played out late in that game. One, I've long, in modern football, and obviously this is since the advent of the forward pass, moving back to PAT is the best rule change that we've seen. Because it before you're just giving away a point, now it makes it really interesting. And of course, Matt Bryant misses uh, an extra point hitting the crossbar, and that's what allowed Philly. Philly could have kicked a field goal. Instead, they marched down and scored a touchdown. And the other one was there used to be a force out rule to which if you forced a, if you forced a, a player out, it could be deemed a catch, which is really it was really, really hard to determine whether or not a guy could get not one but two feet down before being pushed out. Both those rules being changed, and I think both having a having an effect uh, and a positive one on the game and helping the Eagles ultimately win the game. But to me, the, the story that I don't think enough people are going to talk about is how the game really ended for the Falcons. The Steve Sarkeesian struggle with his play calling and a lack of creativity in the red zone? Sure. Absolutely. It should be pointed out that when you're without your best um, your best running back, like true in-between-the-tackles running back down the stretch, that hurts your versatility, although with one second to go, you weren't going to run the football there anyway. But there was a lack of creativity and maybe Austin Hooper is not a great tight end. The, the red zone is a great area to use your tight end. And Austin Hooper, though he was, I, I guess that was a penalty on, on fourth down. It sure didn't look like a penalty. Uh, he's not the pass-catching threat that a Tony Gonzalez had been in years before for the Falcons. Some of this falls at the feet of Sark. Some of it at Matt Ryan, who did seem to have some issues, not just with protection, but also his own fortitude in the pocket. And his arm strength, you could call into question. But the last play of the game is the embodiment of an issue that I think Dallas has tried to nip a little bit too late. The, the Minnesota Vikings went through this years ago. The, and I think the Giants are going to have this problem. Julio Jones was targeted 19 times last year. Not last night. 19. 19 times he was targeted. And... You can make the argument they should have looked for him more early in the red zone, although he was double covered. And I don't know why you wouldn't double cover him constantly. But I tweeted out the video of that last play. Tevin Coleman is wide open on a rub route on the opposite side of the football field. And Matt Ryan never even gave him a look. Never gave him a look. Man-to-man coverage. And the Eagles had previously been in zone a bunch in the red zone. Muhammad Sanu runs a little shallow out, which is, it's basically a rub route. It's right there at the line of scrimmage, completely legal. And all Matt Ryan has to do is 
look to his left like he's throwing to Julio or throwing to Hooper, and then zip the ball across the middle. Five-yard pass. Coleman catches it, dives in the end zone. The Falcons win. The narrative is completely different. It was actually a really good play call. It doesn't mean all the other trips to the red zone were well-called or well-conceived, or even the previous four plays deep in the red zone were well-called or well-conceived. But that play was the right one for the defense that they were going against. And is this all Matt Ryan? Matt Ryan sucks. Look, Matt Ryan's MVP trophy should reside in the home of Kyle Shanahan. Just should. But what Matt Ryan's guilty of is what we're all guilty of. Just throw it to Julio. He'll figure it out. And he wasn't double covered, but, but there wasn't enough space there. Like, even Aaron Rodgers couldn't have snuck that one in there. There just wasn't the space for that type of throw. It wasn't the right read. You have a guy open for a touchdown, and instead you stare down 11, who's your best player, but doesn't mean he always gets the football. Julio was targeted 19 times. The rest of the Falcons combined had 17 targets. This is one of the big reasons that the Cowboys moved on from Dez. Have Dez's skills diminished? Sure. Was Dez a problem at times in the locker room? Absolutely. But the big issue is that Dak, his default became, hey, just throw it to Dez and he'll figure it out. Like, we can say all we want about uh, Dez Bryant's skills have diminished, and they have, but you know the Cowboys threw to him 133 times last year. 133. Remember the Minnesota Vikings when they had Randy Moss? The downfall of Dante Culpepper was, one, he couldn't hold on to the football, and then two, his default was, just throw it to Moss, he'll figure it out. You stare down your best wide receiver? The defense is not dummies. I think this is one of the issues that the Giants are going to have, is that everyone knows Odell Beckham Jr. is an elite wide receiver, He's gotten paid. He wants the ball. And Eli Manning's default is going to be to throw him the ball and he will figure it out no matter if he's open or not. That was the wrong read at the right time. And Julio Jones' abilities, which are beyond that of 99.9% of the wide receivers in the league, be damned. It doesn't matter. He's not the right throw there. But this is a huge issue for the Falcons heading forward. All kinds of questions that are still unanswered about can they, or maybe they were answered about can they score in the red zone. And you got Matt Ryan forcing the ball to Julio Jones, who is the best player on the field, but was not open at all and wasn't the right read in that situation. It was the perfect decoy. Go back and look at the play. I'll tweet it out again for you. There are seven defensive backs on the field for the Philadelphia Eagles. Seven, right? Five of whom are on the side of the field where Julio Jones occupies. It's it's really uh, three and three, but then the Mike, the middle linebacker, goes over to help out co- covering Austin Hooper, and that leaves man to man coverage and a simple rub route and a running back who's a great pass catching running back is wide open, over the middle, catches the ball, dives in the end zone. But because it works on Madden, 
right? Madden, you throw it to a guy who's like 97, 98, catches everything. Like I told my son four years ago during his first flag football game. Football can be boring. Not every catch is spectacular. Not everyone has to be a back shoulder throw in the end zone to win the game. Sometimes the defense, not sometimes, the defense dictates who's open. And while Steve Sarkeesian should rightfully catch a ton of heat for his play calling, that last play call, that wasn't flawed on him. It was the right call. And it worked. And Matt Ryan blew it. Because he threw to the guy that everybody's screaming at their TV sets you got to throw to. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. The Eagles weren't playing well offensively and yet marched down the field and got a touchdown to give them the lead uh, with uh, just over two minutes remaining. One of the reasons why he joins us uh, now on the Doug Gottlieb Show, his name is Zach Ertz. I believe you know who he is. He's also launching a Catches for the Community fundraising campaign I want to get to in a moment, but uh, Zach, how's the, how's the old body feel uh, day after last night? Uh, it's definitely sore. Uh, I mean, a physical game like that, it was really a playoff type of atmosphere. Um, there was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of festivities around the game, obviously. Um, so the, the Falcons are a great team. Their defense flies around, so it was definitely a physical game. Um, but I'm excited with how the outcome was. All right, look, I, I, I hate to go, like, go backwards, but let's go to the start of the game. You get all that energy getting ready, and like when you guys were first warming up, when did you know about the potential for a weather delay? Um, I didn't know about it. It wasn't like they were saying there, we could get a delay because there was a threat of lightning in the area. I actually just saw a lightning bolt come down like through one of the pillars in the stadium. And I had to, like, turn around and check with someone if someone else saw the same thing I did. And unfortunately, they did. And at that point was when I knew they were probably going to start clearing the field because of the weather delay, which is uh, no fun. I'll tell you that much. So what did you guys do during the weather delay? Um, we all just went back into the uh, locker room, obviously. Uh, we had a little team stretch about 10 minutes before we went out, but I just did a lot of uh, what I typically do before the game. I listened to some music. I stretched uh, to stay warm. I rode the bike a little bit to try and stay warm, but I just try to take my mind off of the anxiety that comes with the football game, just focus on uh, myself and uh, yeah, so it, it was uh, it was my first weather delay, and I, hopefully it was my last. Zach Ertz joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Can't I can't let you get I can't let you move on to the next question. I ask you, all right, what music? What what's did you do you have a built in playlist? Do you go song by song? Give me the music. <laughs> uh, I listen to a lot of worship music. A uh, faith is a big part of my life, so I use that time to kind of. Uh, listen to my worship music, and but it honestly relieves a lot of my stress and my anxiety with football because I just focus on something much bigger than myself. Um, so that's what I'm listening to pregame. I, I got to tell you, that was not what I thought I would hear. I thought there would be. <laughs> I thought I thought I'd hear some Metallica, you know, some weightlifting Metallica, or some Megadeth, or or some hip hop, or some something. Uh, I used to I used to listen to little Dave Matthews Band Crash. I know that's not like a get you fired up music. That is a cool- Huh? That's a great song, though. That is a great song. I'll give you that. Yeah, that's a, that's Dave Matthews a, Band is solid. Uh, it, it is solid, but you're listening to worship. Like, is it at least up uplifting? Uh, it's, is it simply uplifting? Definitely. And, okay. okay. I, 
Yeah, you want to give a shout out to one of your favorite get... worship music? Like th- this will help them uh, on iTunes later today. Yeah, I mean, I love Hillsong United, uh, Elevation Worship, two two of the staples. Um, but I mean, with football, there's so much anxiety going into the game. There's so much pressure. Um, I use that time to kind of decompress, and I feel like it allows me to play better. What's that like to run back out in the run back out on the football field for your first game since the Super Bowl? I mean, it was it was a blast. Uh, the stadium was electric from the moment I started my first warm up session. Um, the 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 whole atmosphere was rocking just like it always does, and we're really really tough to beat when we're playing at home, and in in large part because of the fans and the energy that they bring each and every time we play there. But then you got booed. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, I mean, I mean did, did, could you guys hear them booing? Of course, that's uh that's uh every every other game. If we if, if we're not rolling on offense um, in the first half, we're gonna get booed. Um, but at this point, is I'm almost like it is what it is. I know when I play bad. So if we're playing bad as an offense, the fans don't have to let me know. I already know, um, but they're gonna let you know anyways. And I don't get upset with it. Um, it is what it is. All right, so what what did you personally do poorly early in the game? Um, well, we just couldn't get a drive going early in the game. Um, we had we didn't have great field position, um, and when you're first and ten from the two from your own two yard line, it's tough. It's tough to go ninety eight yards in the NFL, especially against a team like the Falcons. Um, but we just try to stay the course and uh, finally get a drive going, score. Um, in the second half, the, the the thing about our team is that we're never going to panic. We're never going to. We've been in games where we won eighteen to ten, and, and we've won games forty-one to thirty-three. Um, so we have a complete football team. If the offense is struggling, we know the defense is going to uh, do their thing, and vice versa. So there's no panic from our part. Obviously, I have to play better. I didn't feel like I had a great game last night, um, and so I look internally in in those times. 26 overall penalties. How much of that is is the players, you guys being sloppy collectively as teams, and how much of that is is the officials it being super tight for the first game of the season? Um, I think, I mean, you have to play. We cannot be having those many penalties. But it's not the ref's fault if we have an offside penalty. It's not the ref's fault, ref's fault if we have a false start on offense. Um, so we just have to be better in that regard, um, and we will be better. It's the first game, a lot of nerves, a lot of anxiety going into the game. You want to be perfect. Uh, you're kind of pressing at that point in the first game. Um, and so I wouldn't put it on the refs. At the end of the day, we just have to play cleaner football. You know, Neil uh, Torres ACL, he's trying to cover you. And that's how that's how good you are is that, uh, is that Keanu Neal actually tore his ACL trying to cover you on that out and up. Yeah, I feel bad for him. You know, he's a fantastic player, a really good guy too. Um, I talked to him this morning, just saying that it was tough, and I and I and I really can't wait for him to come back out there because I love competing against him every time we play him. Wait, so you text you texted him? Or you actually called him this morning? I texted him. Uh, we talked. Um, just let him know that I was thinking about him. He he told me then that he tore his ACL. I was just I didn't know what what happened at the time. I was just kind of checking in. Uh, to see what happened, um, and that's when he told me that he tore his ACL. You had you had two straight drops uh, on a, on a possession late in the game. What what like? Yeah. And again, I'm not trying to like pour. You won the game, so it's not like you know. And and as you said, like <laughs> you don't get caught up in those little things. But for for people who we always wonder what you're thinking, 
what what does actually go through your mind when you when you drop two straight? What 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 do you do? Like, uh, how do you how do you process that type of play? Hey, you know, it's not, it's, it's, I'll, I'll tell you first and foremost, it's not something uh, that I ever want to do. I don't think I've ever had two drops like that in a game in a long time, maybe ever, especially back-to-back plays. Um, so it was very uncharacteristic, something that I have to get better at. Um, the mindset is you just kind of have to move on. I've caught enough balls in this league to know that my hands – and catching the ball and the and my play in the passing game is not something that I typically struggle with. So I just got to focus on catching the ball. So I went in this morning and caught about 300 balls off the jug machines, uh, so I could focus on getting better for the football team. Fair, fair enough. That that'll that'll cure you. Uh, you're down. You guys are down 12 to 10 after they missed the extra point. Did Nick say anything in the huddle? Because that that felt it felt like a different energy and focus from the offense on what ultimately became in the game-winning drive. Did Nick say anything right before that drive began? Uh, he didn't really have to say anything. I don't think he said anything. Um, we just we, we really focused on running the ball effectively late in the game. You know, we have a really, really good offensive line. we got a great staple um, of running backs. And so we're able to wear teams down. Um, and, and on that last drive, we really felt, leaned on the running game because we weren't great in the passing game, and we have to be better in the passing game to win games down the road. Um, but that game, the running game, kind of carried us, uh, especially in the second half. J.H.I. played phenomenal. Um, Darren Sproles played phenomenal. That third and nine conversion was just it, – it, it was probably the biggest play of the game right there. Um, so, yeah, there was no panic by anyone. No one had to give a big rah-rah speech. Um, we just had to focus on doing the little details right. How big was it that you guys ran that Philly, Philly, Philly special yet again – kind of in the third quarter when you guys were still struggling offensively? I mean, I just couldn't believe that Doug called the play. Um, I'm, I'm sitting in the huddle. I think there was – I think a player got hurt the previous play or there was a timeout on the field. And so Nick told us to play, and so we're sitting in the huddle for about 30 seconds. I'm just like talking to Dallas. I was like, man, I cannot believe we're about to call this play. And needless to say, Doug was right, and the play is great. I told Nick before the play started, he better get out of bounds the moment he gets that first down. Um, and so, I mean, it was just a phenomenal play call. I think the whole crowd went crazy when Nick catches the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a phenomenal play call. There's a powerless feeling it has to be. You guys score, you got a six-point lead, you turn over your defense, and obviously the front four was, was dynamic all day. And you watch them marching down the field, and, and there's – I can just tell you, watching the game at home, and then I got Twitter open up. Everybody's like, "This is deja vu. This is deja vu. It's it's happening again." <laughs> what, 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 where were you on the sideline? Do you watch it on the on the screen? Do you get up on the sideline and watch it play out? What do you do during that last drive when the defense is on the field? Yeah, at the beginning of the drive, I was sitting down, and like you said, as it, as they got into the red zone, you kind of have to stand up and watch it from your own vantage point. Um, it, it really was almost eerily similar to the game last playoffs. Um, and our defense, I mean, our front four is just, I don't know, I'm so glad we don't have to play them in a game. It's tough enough in practice. And when those guys are rolling, playing at home, and the fans are going crazy and they're able to get off on the snap count, um, they're just really, really good. And they're a really, really talented group. And then our red zone defense yesterday was just, phenomenal i mean we needed that we needed them to settle for field goals and not get touchdowns down there and that was huge for the for the game yeah i i started the show saying look julio's unbelievable i mean he had 
that 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 out and up that I think was was ruled a, a, not a catch. I still don't know really what a catch if that, if that not a catch. But Julio's unbelievable. But 19 targets. It felt like they're late that last play. They forced into him. Whereas in the other side of the field, Coleman's wide open on a rub route. And, and, and you know it's it's kind of one of those things that your team has that some of these others don't is because you can sprinkle the ball around to so many different options. You don't have that staring down of a superstar wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot of really, really talented guys. I think Julio is just, I mean, the guy is phenomenal. I do not fault them for trying to force feed that guy because he is that talented. Um, You see the way he runs his routes, how hard he runs his routes, how easy it is for him to uh, uh, just get open. Um, And and so I don't blame them for doing that. But at the same time, I mean, that's what I love about our offense is that Typically, we have guys at each and every spot that can go off and our established guys, Nelson Aguilar, Alshon, Mike Wallace, myself, Darren Sproles. So we got a lot of guys that you can't key on and double-team. Um, and if you do double-team a guy, you're going to be one-on-one with a lot of the other guys. So I love playing in this offense. I love playing for Coach Peterson, um, and we have a lot of fun together. You and Aguilar got a bet for this weekend? because We had David Shaw on yesterday, SC Stanford up on the farm this weekend. Um, just who we all thought, by the way, Stanford throwing the ball because they can't they can't get Bryce Love, uh, can't get Bryce Love the football with the with the stack box against San Diego State. You have any friendly wagers? Uh, we might have a little friendly wager. Maybe uh, he'll show up in a Stanford T-shirt on uh, Monday morning. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love the Stanford offense. Bryce Love is a phenomenal player, phenomenal person. That San Diego State game, I mean, they're playing cover zero essentially, just stacking the box. And uh, Coach Shaw did what he always does. He opened up the playbook in the second half, and JJ had a great, a really, really good game. I was really happy for him. He doesn't always don't give me that he always does that. He didn't do that against who was it? <laughs> I mean, there have been times was it uh, uh, was it Michigan State or Penn State? One of those one of those bowl games where he just kept running. It was Michigan State in the Rose Bowl, right? Just kept yeah. keep running into line, running the line. I do like the evolution of 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 Stanford throwing it up to all those big bodies that they have. All right, uh, help me out with this. Catches for the community. It's a new fundraising campaign. It's part of your City city of Love Fund, uh, which um, your family foundation gives out a bunch of money to, to, you know, to Mission of Hope with Haiti and and College is Real. What is this uh, Catches for the Community? Yeah, so obviously the city of Philadelphia has done amazing things for my wife and I. And so we started the Earth Family Foundation this past offseason after – I went down to Haiti, um, and it really opened my eyes to the work a really good foundation can do. Um, and so we, we started our foundation, and we, and we wanted to start something in Philadelphia in particular. Um, so for every catch I have, I'm donating $100 to our City of Love Fund. Um, and so all that money is going to be staying in this community. It's not going to be going back to California. It's not going to be going to Haiti. It's going to be staying right here in Philadelphia, um, and, and we would love for people to join in with us, um, whether it be a dollar for every catch that I have, whether it be matching the $100. Um, whatever they feel called to do to make our city great um, is what we're trying to do here because it is an amazing city, um, and we just want to be a helping hand here. Great stuff. Congrats on the win, and uh, now you get a couple extra days off because you play the Thursday night game. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, maybe more so. Thanks for this foundation, doing doing good works for people who need it the most. We appreciate you joining us. All right, Doug. Thanks for having me. Zach Ertz joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Tiger has lived through two different generations. The first was... When he first came up and he was hanging out with Michael Jordan and Barkley and these guys, 
we didn't care about what somebody did off the course, off the court, off the field. We didn't. We just didn't care. Like even now to this day, he tells stories like, whoa, I can't believe, you know, like this dude was crazy. I mean, think about the Showtime list. The stories about the Showtime Lakers are unbelievable. Unbelievable. With the exception of A.C. Green, right? Who was like, you know, it was the opposite. So, then of course there was a change. And Tiger Woods' marital affairs were first reported by the National Enquirer. And it became, it became, you know, now it's like open game to talk about somebody's personal life. And some of it guys do bring upon themselves. You date a Kardashian who has a reality show, which is really popular. And you're offering yourself your personal life up for discussion. And there has been some financial gain, a financial gain because of it, popularity gain because of it. But, um, I just, (laughs) dude, this, there's two different eras. We used to not care. Now we care maybe a little bit too much. That's what's happened with politics. The whole idea of just stick to sports, that used to be what everybody would do. Hey, nobody wants to hear your take about, about sports. Nobody really cares. Don't share it with it. Don't, don't. It wasn't just you're alienating half the people. Just nobody cares. To now, if you have no opinion, if you have no opinion, well, that, that's, not, that's, not, that's not a good response. You got to have an opinion. Right, that was Tiger Woods last week. ESPN ripped him. How could he not have an opinion? I mean, how can he? He doesn't have to have an opinion. It's not what he does. I hate golf balls. I don't have to. My wife had she had a great line. She had a gr- honestly great line. My wife has always been like apolitical, like don't care, doesn't affect me. To now, where she's really bothered by a lot of different things in politics. I won't, I won't just. There's no reason for me to discuss on which side of it she is. Right, because she wouldn't. She's a big girl; she can stand up for herself. But uh, we have friends that have completely lost their minds, and they lose relationships because of it. And she's like, "Look, if you like the guy or don't like the guy, seems to be a decent chance you got like three more years. Why would I ruin a friendship that could last fifty years over something that might last three years? I still feel how I feel. I'll keep it to myself. If somebody really asks me a question, I get into a deep, thoughtful discussion." But the problem is in sports, that's not a good enough answer now. Well, what do you mean you don't have a thought on the commercial? Tiger Woods gave one of the great non-answer answers in support of a Nike ad you'll ever hear. All right, take a listen to it one more time. I think Nike's trying to uh, you know, get out ahead of it and try and do something that's special. And I think they've done that. It's a, it's a beautiful spot and uh, some pretty powerful people in the spot. It's a beautiful spot. Nike's trying to get out. When do you get out ahead of it? Because, in fact, they're actually way behind. Like, this has been, like, two years. It is a magnificent spot. How do you feel about Kaepernick being involved? Hey, it's a great spot. I don't know who that... I'm not going to mention names. I'm not going to support. Like, that is as neutral a voice of support behind his sponsors as as you're going to get. And you know what? It's kind of enough. Because the era we used to live in, which is, hey, I don't want to hear some dumb jock talk about sports. Now some jocks are like, look, I'm not dumb. I want to talk about politics. That's fine. They're allowed to do so. But there are guys like, hey, it's not really what I do. I don't really want to do it. That's amazing change that we've had. 
No opinion used to be a good enough opinion in politics and sports, but for some people, apparently it's not. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. He's the lead college football analyst for Fox Sports and Fox Sports 1. He's Joel Klatt. He joins us from the Sooner State, getting ready to call UCLA and uh, and Oklahoma. Joel, um, look, so far so good for uh, for kind of the, the new look offense, new quarterback at, at Oklahoma. You watch tape, though. How much difference is there Oklahoma this year to last year? Well, I think last year they were a little bit more pass heavy on first down. Now there's only one game, you know, to go off of, and they were basically blowing FAU out at the start of the second quarter. So I don't know if there was a real test, or I don't know if we can tell what's going to be different and what's not going to be different because they just weren't tested in week one, even from a team that I thought is pretty good and will, I I believe, prove to be pretty good uh, during the course of the season. I have a firm belief that Oklahoma is a better football team this year than they were last year. Hmm. People have scoffed at that this year, and they've, they've told me that I'm crazy for saying that because of Baker. And I understand that the quarterback is the most important position on the field, but in college that's minimized just a little bit because the, the wide hash marks and the effect that a run game can have, uh, and in particular the margin of great athlete to average athlete in college, which is much greater than it is in the NFL. All of those things minimize the, the role of the quarterback to some degree until you get two great teams against each other. Now, having said that, though, this team at OU is better everywhere else. The offensive line's more experienced. The defense, Doug, played really well last week. Um, and then they've also got some, some areas where they can improve. So sky's the limit for OU. I think that this is a national title contender. Uh, UCLA has to, had to use Dorian Thompson-Robinson before they really wanted to, and he looked very much like a freshman. Freshman all over yeah. the field uh, for Chip Kelly. He's a 30-point dog. 30-point dog. Can they be competitive? Um, I think that UCLA is probably better than we think, and I don't know if OU is quite as good as we think, right, after the first week, and you're always going to get some adjustment in week two of the season. Now, after all those glowing things I said about OU, Chris Robeson, the quarterback for FAU last week, missed some open receivers. So there were some things available to FAU that they just did not execute on. I'm not suggesting that UCLA is going to come out and hit on all cylinders, but I think that we can at least expect or anticipate that they'll play a little better in their second game under chip than they did in their first. Dorian Thompson-Robinson talented, man. I tell you what, he is talented. There are some things that he's got to do better and needs to learn how to do better. One of them is change speeds. Doug, the dude's got a big league fastball. Yeah, right? that's, all he, I saw. <laughs> that's all he tries but to do. He's got to learn to throw a touch a little bit. You know, you can't, you can't get a guy over the middle of the field 10 yards away and throw a heater right into his sternum, right? Like, that doesn't work all, all the time. But he'll learn that, and he'll get better, and I expect that he'll be a little better this week. Uh, JT Daniels, it, it felt like in the first half they gave him – Maybe not even half the field. You know, like just one, just one read if you see it, and he gunned some in there, and it wasn't great. They did seem to open it up, open up the playbook for him a little bit in the second half. Uh, he he uh, he hit on a forty-three yarder, a couple of throws deep down the field. USC goes into Stanford, team they beat twice last year, but obviously USC is constituted completely differently. What are your thoughts on the SC offense with eighteen-year-old JT Daniels at the helm? Well, he's a, he, listen, he's a special talent. Does that mean that he's a great college player right now? Probably not. 
Um, there's some things that he's going to need to learn. I thought in the second half they did exactly what you just mentioned, which was open things up a little bit, allow him to uh, get the ball a little deeper down the field, use a little bit more of the field. You know, the passing game is really predicated on, on a few different things. If you go through it, you are going to read your progression strictly, one, two, three, four, if it's man coverage. If it's zone coverage, generally what you see is there are concepts that cut the field in half mm-hmm. or there are concepts that allow you to read the full field. And I thought they were mostly in half-field reads versus zone last week. I expect that's going to open up because that's the MO that Clay Helton has had for a long time, in particular with Sam Darnold. And as JT gets his feet more wet, you're going to see that kind of blossom into a a more dynamic and robust passing game. Uh, Having said that, I will say this. JT Daniels and Amon St. Brown are two of the most talented true freshmen I've seen in a long time. I think they're going to take the the college football world by storm. And by the time they're in their junior season, I think they'll be the best quarterback-wide receiver combo in the country. Yeah, I'm on St. Brown, of course, caught that 43-yard touchdown pass. They played together at Modern Day High School. And JT, of course, uh, could have been a senior this year. He's a little older, obviously, but could have been a senior this year after winning a couple championships in a row. Uh uh, let, let's go to let's go to Stanford. Last weekend, it was about KJ Costello, right? Those four touchdown passes because they they're going cover zero. You know, there's there's nobody back there. And we had David Shaw on. David Shaw's like, you should have seen Bryce Love in pass pro. He was awesome in pass pro. Like that's great. But this is a USC defense which gave up like I think 300 yards total rushing. Give me your sense of what Stanford's offense is going to look like in week two. Yeah. So. I, I love David Shaw, and he's right. Bryce was really good in pass protection. That's not how he's going to earn money, either David or Bryce, right? I mean, the, the bread is going to be buttered for Stanford with Bryce Love carrying the rock, and I think he's got to get back on track this week. It wasn't just the 300 yards that UNLV ran for, but it was the 7.6 yards per carry that they ran for that was almost more concerning for me. You know, total yardage is so skewed in college football because of the volume of plays sure. dug across yep. the country. Yep. And and when you look at those per play averages or per drive averages, that's what stands out to me. And quite frankly, that defense they just could not stop a cold last week in in terms of the run game. So, with that being said, if I'm Stanford, I'm going to make them prove that they can correct their mistakes from week one and stop the run because they certainly didn't prove that against UNLV and I would say that Stanford is considerably almost exponentially but considerably better in the run game than UNLV is let's go to the Big Ten um you and I both like Michigan more than other people you've uh, you've backed away from that substantially after just one week is there a chance that we're undervaluing Notre Dame the fact that they're playing on the road, couple calls like that Wimbush Wimbush touchdown throw, which looks like it's a highlight throw, right? But it's in a double coverage, and you know receiver just jumps up and makes a play. Like is Michigan is is Michigan going to struggle this year? Well, I don't think they're going to struggle. I still believe. Well, let's put it this way, and I think this is probably a better way to look at this. Of the three Big Ten East teams that we would say underperformed in week one, which was most impressive, Doug? Most impressive. Michigan, Michigan State, or Penn State? I would argue Michigan. Yep. They were in a more hostile environment against a better, more quality opponent in Notre Dame and, quite frankly, had a, a really good chance to win even with playing so poorly along the offensive line. They ran the ball for about 1.7, 1.6 
uh, yards per carry. Again, back to that per carry kind of basis. That was the second worst among all Power 5 programs in week one of the college football season. The only team that was worse than that was Louisville, and that's because they faced Alabama. So the concerning part for Michigan is that their offensive line continues to to play poorly, and, and they are not physical enough. They don't have that identity that we thought they would have under Harbaugh. Everywhere else, they are, you know, conference championship caliber, playoff caliber. Defense in particular, uh, it's not like Notre Dame just blew them out of the water. Certainly not. And, and the play that you bring up, the Wimbush touchdown pass, it was a low percentage throw, bottom line, 50-50 at best, and Notre Dame made the play. Uh, so I would not want to be Penn State. Let's just put it that way. I'm going to go back to that comparison. Yeah. Penn State had, had Appalachian State in. App State had nine penalties, lost the turnover battle, and still went to overtime with Penn State on the road. That's a bad omen. Hey, by the way, App State lost the turnover battle, had nine penalties, and still outgained Penn State in the game by 17 total yards. That's concerning. The middle of that defense for Penn State is was just decimated uh, by departures. Both the defensive tackles were gone from last year. Jason Cabinda, the Mike linebacker, Marcus Allen, the safety, uh, obviously the Barkley and Gasecki's of the world, uh, you know, Deshaun Hamilton, the slot receiver, their coordinator. Like, there's a lot to replace for Penn State. I'm very concerned for Penn State. So Michigan drops all the way into the 20s. Right. Penn State drops to a not, maybe not even drops, but just stays at 13. I would argue that Michigan is a much better team than Penn State after week one, even though one team's 0-1 and one team's 1-0. And then you got Michigan State. All right, Michigan State and Penn State both on the road. Penn State at Pittsburgh, of course, they 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 was a laugher last year, and they they said uh, you know Akron was a tougher game, right? Um, and Michigan State going to Arizona State, who does have some talent, and it is in the desert, going to be super hot. Who's who's more likely to 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 face a tougher challenge? Well, I think that Arizona State is probably a better team than Pitt, but Pitt is in a rivalry game, and you know those rivalry games. It 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 really. I hate the old adage, like, throw out the records, but you do, kind of, you know? I mean, it's such an emotional game. There's always so many mistakes in rivalry games. People play better than they probably should. So I'm more concerned for Penn State on the road at Pitt. Remember, Pitt beat them just a couple of years ago in the same situation at Heinz Field there in Pittsburgh. Now, that's not to say that I'm not concerned for Michigan State, because there are two things that really concern me for Michigan State. One, Arizona State's got some really good, talented skill position players. One, Nikhil Harry is a really good player. And the kick time is so late. Their body clocks are going to be kicking at like 10, 10, 30 body clock time, central time. That's tough, man. That is very tough to get yourself ready to go that late. Um, we'll see how they do. It's going to be hot. They were obviously in, in a battle against Utah State, who's not a bad team. They had 18 starters back, including two Power 5 transfers. So, I'm concerned for both teams, probably more concerned for Penn State this week. Last thing, uh, LSU appears to have competent quarterback play. Are they the biggest threat in the SEC? You know, everyone, I get it because of the score. However, Doug, if you actually went go back and, and really evaluate that game against Miami, what you will see is a pretty evenly matched first half that got out of hand on the scoreboard because of some a couple of bad penalties and a couple of bad turnovers. Um, I basically tell you that to, to say I don't think Miami is as bad as we think, and I don't think LSU is as good as we think they are. Joe Burrow did not do anything all that special, right? I mean, he was good in terms of a game manager. He didn't do anything to hurt them. I just think it's, it's going to be hard 
to believe that he's going to come in this late in the process and be dynamic after not starting essentially his entire career. Mm-hmm. It's so much different when you've got a guy like Russell Wilson who started for, I believe it was two, maybe three years at North Carolina State before going to Wisconsin, and he brought all of that experience and the reps and the veteran presence on the field to Wisconsin and their run to the Rose Bowl that year. It's very different for Joe Burrow. Everyone thinks they're like, oh, he's going to go down there. He's going to do so well. He's a talented kid. He's just trying to get his feet wet on the field. So all that to say, I I don't know if the LSU hype is quite deserved, um, but we'll see. We'll see because they're certainly good on the defensive side, but I think Miami could probably bounce back a little bit better than we think. I think LSU will probably lose a couple of games that we think that they shouldn't during the course of the season. And we'll see you next weekend against Auburn. Of course, you got Georgia, South Carolina. Those are uh, a couple of the big games in the SEC. Yeah, good game there. Uh, UCLA. I think South Carolina, my, my, I think South Carolina they might not win, but I think that's going to be a closer game than we expect. I, I think so, too. And I'll, Columbia is always a, a place where, uh, I, like, I don't think crowds are a, a big a big a factor as, as broadcasters and sometimes uh, fans think they are. I mean, perfect example is Florida State, right? I mean, if it went by crowd, they would have dominated the game against Virginia Tech. But I do think South Carolina is a place to which they, the, the energy in that place and the way that defense should play should make it really, really interesting for Georgia, especially considering how many new pieces they have off of that talented team from, from last year. Hey, no enjoy your second home in Oklahoma. Tell everybody in the Sooner State I said hi, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, bud. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from iHeart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.